Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Arbor Vitae podcast. If you've been following along with our schedule, you'll know that tonight we should be releasing Episode 7, The Woodworker's Journey and Faith. However, when Jonathan and I sat down to prepare for this episode, we realized that we really should have more time and spend more effort preparing for it because of the importance of the topic. We really wanted to have a well-thought-out episode to give to you instead of just something that was subpar. So we decided to take another week to plan so that we could give the topic of that episode the attention that it really deserves. Instead, today we're bringing you an interview that we've had recorded for quite a while now. Jonathan had the opportunity to sit down and interview Guy Dunlop of Guy's Woodshop, and they talked about a topic that we've featured on one of our previous episodes. So tonight we present an interview with Guy Dunlop of Guy's Woodshop. We hope you enjoy it, and as always, stay virtuous. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Arbor Vitae podcast, promoting virtue in woodworking. I'm your co-host, Jonathan Conrad, this evening, uh, and I have the pleasure of speaking with Guy Dunlop. Guy, how are you doing? I'm, I'm fine, Jonathan. How are you this evening? Doing fantastic. Um, so tonight on this episode, what we want to talk about is in one of our previous episodes, we covered uh, practice and fortitude uh, and you know what what that really means in the world of woodworking and so we wanted to uh, get a chance to talk with with guy tonight on on the topic of practice and looking at some of the work that he's done over the many years that he's been doing woodworking uh, and get a you know get a perspective from from your vantage point on on how practice and uh, and fortitude really persistence uh, the role that it's played in uh, woodworking for you. Uh, so maybe you can start with kind of a brief history of, uh, you know, how you got into woodworking, um, and what you've been up to the last, you know, six months or so. Well, I, I got into woodworking at a very young age, uh, in junior high school, and I, I pretty much have done it ever since then. There's a couple, you know, years here and there, I, I wasn't able to have a shop or tools to do any woodworking, but for the most part, I'm I've always just built stuff. Um, the last couple years, I've been doing uh, some YouTube stuff, and as always, I build things for my family and friends. I don't really do commissions. I do a few here and there, but it's mostly just for for myself, my family, and and friends of mine. Um, now that's pretty much it. I just go out in the shop and. I, I love it out there. I, I, I can't imagine doing anything else more uh, spiritually fulfilling than, than going out and, and making something. That's great. So was there anyone in your family growing up that kind of led you to woodworking or, or kind of sparked an interest uh, early on? Well, both my grandfathers were, were, were woodworkers. My, oh, okay. uh, patern my paternal grandfather more so. And he did a lot of that, and he also did a lot. He was a welder, uh, originally from Cleveland, and he worked in the shipyards there, building big, very large ships. Uh, wow. He was, he, was, he was an old, grizzled guy. I, um, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, but he did some of it, and my father was very mechanical. He was a mechanical engineer, and just growing up and you know working with my dad, uh, out in the shop, we had motorcycles and cars and things like that. So we were, it, there was always a culture of, of building things with our hands. And um, 
I just took it to the next level on the woodworking, I think, more so than anybody else in the family. Yeah. Well, I mean, that sounds very similar to a lot of ours. I mean, that's my, then, you know, that's how I, that's how I got into it. My grandfather taught me and, you know, my dad was a chemical engineer, but same thing, you know, there was always something that we were building as a, you know, as a, as a family, you know, problem solving, things like that. Um, well, that's awesome. So then how did you find your way into, or let me, let me ask you this. How would you describe the typical projects, the type of work that you do as, you know, is it fine woodworking? Um, how would you describe it and define it? Well, I really don't know if you can define woodworking, and I, I don't know if I want to pigeonhole myself or, or what I do in any particular type of woodworking. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, what what defines fine woodworking, and I really don't know if you can. And that being said, I'd like to think that I'm more of a furniture maker than I am a woodworker. Okay. Um, there's, you know, there's there's trim and, and finished carpenters, there's rough carpenters, there's woodworkers, there's furniture makers, there's turners, there's so many sub-genres of the, of the whole woodworking, or under the whole woodworking umbrella. Uh, like I said, I consider myself more a furniture maker. I, I like to make functional pieces. Um, I think that... It, it, Somebody asked me once how I would define fine woodworking, and I think the easiest way to, to, to describe that is, you know, a great example is a, is a shaker table. You know, everybody at some point in their career is going to make a shaker table if they're a woodworker. Yeah. And they're all basically the same. It's a top, you know, aprons and four legs. What really defines a fine woodworking piece of, of shaker furniture it's not necessarily the joinery used because uh, there's many different ways to accomplish the same task. But paying attention to color, grain matching, grain patterns in the wood, uh, and really taking a look at all that as a whole, not just looking at a board and say, okay, I'm going to pull a piece from here, here, and here, and I've got enough in this one board to do the piece. Sometimes you have to look at you know four or five different boards just to get exactly what you need um, if that makes any sense it makes a lot of sense um, so, so when, go ahead no no after you sir well so as you are then designing a piece of furniture it sounds like you spend a lot of time then you know not just what boards do i need but which part of the board do i need for this piece of the furniture Exactly. Um, you know, you, you look at a flat sawn board, and there's a lot, you know, on the edges, there's a lot of straight grain, and then you've got the cathedrals in the middle. Um, so, you know, a, a good example is a, a, not too long ago, I made a, a walnut jewelry box, and I really had to dig through quite a, quite a big stack of lumber to find some boards that had enough straight, because I wanted the, the, the piece to be the uh, the actual visual detail. I didn't want any any grain to really draw away from the details of the of the piece itself. Okay. So I wanted really super super straight grain. So I had to look through a bunch of different boards to find something that 
actually fit what I was going to make. So I guess the ingredients are just as important as, you know, what you're cooking. Okay. That makes sense. So what was it maybe an earlier project that you did, you know, however long ago that really inspired you or, or motivated you to continue to pursue, you know, the track that you've gone with furniture making in, in, you know, much, I, I, I would, you know, I look at it and I say, well, that's, you know, fine woodworking just from the simple fact of uh, high attention to detail, uh, intricate designs, you know, very, um, uh, you know, high quality inlays, things like that, that you, you don't see as much these days. Um, not, I don't know why, because anyone that looks at it can look at it and say, wow, that's a really beautiful piece. But uh, maybe that would just, there aren't as many I don't know if there's not as many talented woodworkers, but maybe there's just not as many people that seem to want to take the time to learn how to do it well uh, and do it well. But whatever it is, you know, when did you kind of start getting drawn to that type of furniture making or is that where you started and have always been? Well, uh, well that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough question. Um Going back, you know, looking at some of the pieces I made, you know, my my, my teens, my twenties, and then in my you know, early thirties, um, a lot of those pieces were exactly that. It was just, you know, I need to make this. I'm going to cut the stuff out of these boards, and I'm just going to put it together, and and not necessarily even using you know any special joinery techniques, you know, butt joints, brad nails, screws whatever it took to, to, to get the job done. And then you start to look at the piece maybe a year or two later and it's starting to fall apart and the, the joints aren't as tight. And you, if you really look at the detail of it, it's really lacking. So I, I guess probably the, the, the thing that really started me down that path was, uh, you know, everybody who's watched the new Yankee workshop, um, I remember when that show first came out in the in the early '90s, and uh, watching Norm, he did a lot of things that <laughs> I don't want to disparage Norm because he's a woodworking legend, but he did a lot of things that would be questionable to a lot of people that would consider themselves, you know, a fine furniture maker, mm -hmm. uh, especially use of brad nails and screws and, and things like that. So. I was looking at those and then I started reading Fine Woodworking Magazine and seeing how some of the people, you know, for a great example is Christian Bexford, um, looking how he did things and the attention to, to details. And then you start looking at, at what you've done in the past and you've seen what some of these, you know, modern masters of furniture are doing. And you say to yourself, you know, I can do that. But you know, how do I get to that level? And and I guess that really brings us to the the whole subject of tonight's uh, podcast, which is you know challenging yourself and practice to get to that level. So, so how many you know? Can you remember maybe the first piece that you did that you you know felt like you really pushed yourself and went beyond what? you were capable of when you started the project, but you know, you, where you challenged yourself and you, you know, finished it and were like, wow, that was worth it. 
Uh, yeah, actually, that was about four years ago, believe it or not. Up until that point, I've always done just, you know, I've just built things and not really challenged myself to, to do a lot of the crazy stuff, um, what you might consider crazy stuff. Uh, and that was actually the first series I put on YouTube, which was my uh, round pedestal table that, that uh, you know, expanded. Uh, it wasn't a straight piece on it. It was bent laminations. There was yeah. Everything was a curve. Uh, there was a lot of engineering that had to go into it. I had to think about all that stuff, and it was a, it was a heck of a challenge. I screwed up a lot of things, and uh, but you know you learn from those mistakes. And uh, from there, you know every time I look at you know even doing something, like this, I still make a couple shaker tables here and there, and just very simple pieces. But whenever I make something like that, I feel like you know, boy, this is just I don't want to say too easy. But it's it's just very basic. So now when I, I I'm thinking of building something, I, I think to myself, how can I really add a lot of visual interest to this piece? How can I challenge myself? How can I introduce new techniques that I've I've never done before into this piece uh, and and really make it work? Uh, so there there you have it. Have you found it to be more rewarding than you know, the way maybe you approached it in the past as far as, you know, the difference between a project where you really push and challenge yourself, even though you made some mistakes versus the projects where it's like, this is easy. I've done this a hundred times before and, you know, just kind of power through it. Yeah. Doing a project on cruise control is, is not, is not really uh, good for your, your brain, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I really like I really like to, 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 to push myself, and most of the things I see, I, I if I'm going to do a project right now, I've got a, two projects on the on the on the books that I'm, I'm looking at, and I've never done anything quite like either one of them. So, unfortunately, I overanalyze everything and I overengineer everything. So. Before I even start cutting wood, I mean, it's a, a month-long process for me. I, I stay awake at night trying to figure out how I'm going to cut this joint and cut that joint. Okay, now I've done that. So how am I going to do this now that I've done that? Okay, now wait a second. I can't do that before I do this. And there's just so many steps that have to go into it. Um, it's, it's very hard to get ahead of yourself. And forget to do something that can be, you know, uh, fatally bad when right. you're building something. So um, I, it's it's just I really enjoy the whole process of it. I, I like staying awake at night thinking about those things and coming down here in the morning and, and sitting on my computer and start typing out some notes and some sketches and things like that and just working through it. Um, so it can be it can be very challenging, but but it, but it's very rewarding to do that. Yeah. Uh, when you when you when you get done, even if you've made mistakes, you step back and look at it and say, okay, I've got you know, a hundred hours, one hundred and fifty hours, two hundred hours, you know, into a project, and it's you know the mistakes are there, but nobody else does. Right. And and everybody just goes, wow, that looks so awesome. And it feels good to hear that from, from other people. 
especially other woodworkers, and that's why I started doing a lot on, on YouTube and, and you know I post a lot of stuff on Instagram, as you know. Right. Well, so as I mean, it's it's fascinating listening to you kind of talk through how you know it sounds like you're solving a lot of you're kind of mapping it out in your is it in your head or are you doing it on paper or SketchUp or you know, do you solving these problems maybe in your head first and then you go back to the drawing board later and kind of map it out on pencil, SketchUp, or is it all just in your head? Yes. All of the above. All of the above. Uh, That's about right. All of the above. Um, sometimes when I have to figure out um, critical measurements to make sure I get something right, I'll do a quick SketchUp. I don't like doing everything in SketchUp because then I feel like I'm married to a design, which I right. never am. Um, a lot of the pieces just kind of evolve um, from what you originally envisioned. So, uh, but it, it basically all starts with an idea. I look at pictures and I'll start, you know, collecting pictures and I'll create a folder on my computer and put all the pictures in there and I say, I want this element, I want that element, I want this element. And I'll do a very rough sketch. I mean, on just a sheet of paper, my, my drawing is not very good. It's just some rough measurements. And then, I, then, I'll, <clears throat> then I'll go through the, the, the whole process of sleepless nights trying to figure out how I'm going to do all this stuff. Um, especially the joinery can be kind of challenging on some of these things. Uh, and then, you know, I just start building. And a lot of the problems have a tendency to present themselves while you're building. Mm -hmm. And that's when you take you take a step back and you say, okay, I've painted myself in a corner here. How do I get out of it? And then the whole process starts over again. And um, But again, I like that. Right. Otherwise, it would just be, okay, here's four legs. I'm going to put mortises in them, put aprons on them, put a top on them, and I'm done. Uh, again, it's it's... It's the whole process and uh, the, the challenge of it that, that really drives me, so to speak. I mean, it sounds like you really do enjoy just the process and the journey of building a piece, maybe just as much as you do seeing it come together at the very, very end. Uh, I enjoy the process more than seeing the end product. Really? Um, yeah, there, I, I hear a lot of people say that, you know, Boy, I can't wait for this project to be over. I just want it to be done. And I get so excited when I start a new project. I, I get excited about any part of the project. Uh, you know, I, I, I hear people talk about you know, surface prep and finish. And I think you and I had that conversation once. Yeah. Um, where I, I love doing surface prep. It gives me a final chance to go over the entire piece and find out where I screwed up so I can fix it before I put the finish on it. And I like the finishing process. It's a, it's a very exact thing. And, um, you know, I, I heard somebody say once, you know, what, what's the, the biggest mistake a furniture maker can make or a woodworker can make? And they say, putting finish on it. I, I don't agree with that <laughs> at all. So, like I said, I, the, the, the whole process, actually, I'm, I'm kind of depressed when a project is over. Because during that whole project, I'm so consumed by it, uh, completely consumed by it, that I, I can't see past it at all. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about the next project. I'm thinking about this project. So when this project is over, I kind of go into project withdrawal. That's interesting. Okay, what do I do next? I'll go out into the shop and stand there and just stare at my tools for two hours going, oh my God, I don't have a project. Do they talk to you and tell you like, or do you get inspiration from kind of like (laughs) looking at materials or looking at, you know, tools that like, where does the inspiration for new ideas come from then? Mostly out of, out of function. Um, Okay. You know, uh, I've got to build some. I, I I want something in my house, or a family member wants something. So it's, um, you know, it, it's it's to serve a purpose. Um, so the, the inspiration from it mainly comes from, you know, I, I wouldn't say inspiration, but the 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 genesis of it is just a general need to to have a piece of furniture or right. have a table or, or you know cabinet or whatever it is a lot of those times when I you know stand out there in the shop and I say to myself you know what am I going to build now and and, and you you know said it what 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 inspires you, you know, is it the, the wood or whatever and I said yeah. well actually yes I have 80 bazillion pieces no I think I'm up to 90 bazillion pieces now <laughs> of, of little pieces of wood all over my shop and I save them because you know this has interesting grain, or this has an interesting color, or this, that, or the other thing. And that's you know, as I said it before, if anybody follows me on Instagram out there, um, they know I make a lot of boxes. Yeah, that's where that's where my scrap wood goes to, and that's what I actually do for to to then it is more of just a putting myself on cruise control because I've made, you know, a hundred boxes, if not more than that in my lifetime. So it's very easy for me to take a piece of wood and, and study the, the different parts of it to, to get a box that has, you know, boxes are simple. It's four sides and a top and a bottom. There's not much you can really do to it. And that's where attention to detail and grain can really make a difference. And I look at those little scraps of wood I've saved and I go, okay, how can I make a box out of this? And then I start the whole process. So how do you approach those? I mean, boxes, cause what I, I mean, at least the ones that I see a lot of them from a, like the physical attributes of them seem simple. And what you've highlighted is the grain. Whereas you had mentioned in a previous project where, you know, like the jewelry box, I think you said where you really wanted uh, the design and the physical uh, design elements of the box to kind of, or the jewelry box to kind of highlight. How do you, how do you decide one way or the other? That's that's a good question. That that jewelry box, um, that walnut jewelry box, that was actually not my design. Um, I'm sure everybody is familiar with uh, James Cronoff. Uh, he wrote a book in the '70s called uh, Cabinet Maker's Notebook. That's the jewelry box that's on the cover of cabinets made, Cabinet Maker's Notebook. Oh, okay. So I did about a, a two weeks worth of research on it to get off because the, the pictures in the book are very um, ambiguous. Right. Exactly how it's put together and the details of it. So I, I had to do a lot of research on the Internet to a lot of people that have made that box. I changed a few things, but... Uh, 
again, that was it was more the design of the box and not the, the, the grain. So that was to me that was almost a furniture build and not a box build. Um, I'm really not that imaginative. <laughs> Most of I don't know if I'd call any of my designs unique, and anybody's going to look at it in ten years and go, "Oh, that's a that's a dumb lamp." I don't <laughs> think that's ever going to happen. Um, everything I've ever done, I've, I've, I've I don't want to say plagiarized or stolen, but um, heavily influenced by other woodworkers' woodwork or woodworking. So I, I'll look at, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to build a, a chest of drawers. Let's say I'll start doing searches for chests of drawers, and it's like, okay, I like that, I like that, I like that. Sometimes I'll just outright copy it. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting though, because I think, and we actually talked a little bit about this with Todd, but it's like, I think a lot of people think that they have to create original ideas, but it, in some ways it's a little bit silly because there isn't a single idea that any person can have that is not inspired by their life experiences. So, you know, I, I would almost encourage people to be like, stop trying to make up your own stuff. Just, you know, learn from the things that have already been built, you know, draw inspiration from them. And I mean, one of the, I think a lot, I, I think it's a quote, you know, one of the sincerest forms of flattery is, is, is replication or something along those lines. Why? Because when you create something that mimics, you know, a, a great work of, of art from somebody in the past or somebody that's, you know, maybe better than you, like that's a tremendous learning opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I would say that very few people have the skills to truly come up with, you know, truly original things. Um, and it's certainly... I would never discourage anybody from entering into woodworking unless they had an original idea. Correct. We wouldn't and, have very many woodworkers. Of, <laughs> and a lot of things when you start going in, you know, that's a, you know, that's a that's a Dunlap or that's a Conrad. You know, it, it stops becoming, to me, anyways. And this is just just me. It stops becoming furniture, and you're you're starting to to. To, to delve into the world of, of art. Right. Um, and, you know, that's a completely different thing. You know, we were talking to, before we started the podcast about uh, Mr. Clippinger, and, and he's a juried artist, and I've seen some of the stuff he's done, and it's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and, but you still, I still don't know if you can say that's a Clippinger piece, because some of the stuff is just so... It's not a, a, a pattern of pieces that, you know, you can tell by one piece and the next piece and the next piece. These all look very similar in style because he's all over the place. Um, if you look at some of the stuff, like I said, like a James Krenhoff, you there's certain elements you can see through all his furniture pieces. And, uh, you know, the way that the rails and styles were done on the doors, um, and how he positions them, you know, the the, the cabinet on stand is, is a great example of that. There's so many different variations of it, but you can tell that that's a Kronhoff piece. Right. So there's a lot of consistency and, and branding of his product. Um, 
So, well, that's interesting that you point that out because you know, especially, I think a lot of that's driven by maybe you know the the type of work. You know, it's like if you have to make a living doing woodworking, most of the time you're going to build what you know, based off of the businesses you can get, right? So if you've got one client that wants mm-hmm. this thing, you're going to build that thing that they asked you to do. And, um, you know, I think it, a lot of it is probably driven by the type of work that you are either commissioned to do or, you know, I'm sure there are those who are in a position where they have the opportunity to create what they want to create and then go find somebody to buy it. Um, yeah, that's tough. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a tough way to make a living. <laughs> that I think is really when you get into the you know truly the artistic side of woodworking, where really what you're creating mm-hmm. is a work of art more than it is a functioning piece of furniture. Even if it does that, its primary um, uh, draw is the its artistic elements, uh, which you know I think is is certainly admirable, but I would say not nearly as common, you know, what you were talking about as most of your projects are inspired by, I need a functional piece of furniture, you know, a family member or, or you know, a close friend, that's much more common for most of us that do woodworking, whether mm-hmm. it be as a hobby or as a profession. Yeah, and that's that's it exactly, but it's, it's how you take those things that could be seemingly simple and add things to it to push yourself and get into areas that you need to take yourself out of your comfort zone, I guess is the bottom line to all this. Uh, if you want to progress and, and, and always uh, try to, 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 to go to the next level, so to speak, from beginner to intermediate or intermediate to advanced, whatever, however you want to label that, um, you have to be able to take yourself out of the comfort zone and, and, and try things that you've never tried before and, and be willing to fail at them because it's, it's part of the learning process. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because, I mean, I've learned that especially over the last year or two, um, you know, trying to challenge myself, especially getting more into hand tools. Um, and it is definitely a little bit scary because it's like I'm going into this project knowing that I'm going to try and do something that I've never done before, which means that there's there's a chance, and there might be a good chance that I'm going to fail. <laughs> um, it's it's not a chance; it's an inevitability. Well, I, <laughs> and you have to you have to resign yourself to that. Yeah. Yes, you are correct. Um, I don't I don't know of any woodworkers, and I'm guessing you probably don't either. That have more have built one piece of furniture where they say. It's literally perfect. I did not make any mistakes. Yeah, I, I sure as heck can't say that. And I think that if anybody does, there they may be uh, stretching the truth a little bit, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. So, what skill or skills you know have you feel like you've developed? Um, you know, over the past, you know, you, you mentioned kind of the last four years, maybe specifically that you've invested a lot of time in practice that's paid off. Um, and, and you know, you feel like you've, you've either mastered or, or become a, very proficient at. I don't know if I'd say I've mastered, you know, anything I've ever done. Um, I, I don't think there's any, I'm not doing anything now that I probably have not done in the past. 
um, let's say in the past 15 years. Um, I'm just doing more of it and I'm, I'm getting better at it over time because I'm, I'm, I've learned from my mistakes. So a, a good example is uh, bent laminations. I'm doing a lot more of it now. I've done it, you know, I, I started doing it probably 20 years ago, um, but just not at the frequency at which I'm doing it now, mainly because now I'm very comfortable with it because I've done it so many times. I know what the pitfalls are. I'm still, you know, learning some things here and there, but, um, and it goes, you know, the, the, the whole topic of the broadcast, which is practice. So yeah. as you do things over and over again, you, you get better at it, just not out of repetitive, but repetitive nature of it because you, you've learned from your mistakes. And uh, now it's, you know, things like, uh, like the last piece I just finished, which was that, that floating hall table. I've never made a table without legs before. I don't you think know, very many figure. people have. I certainly haven't. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, a table with no legs, what are you talking about? Um, but again, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of challenges in that piece. And, and overall, it was, a, it was a basic, it really wasn't that crazy of a design. But, you know, there's, there's not a, 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 except for the drawer box, everything was curved. Right. You know, there's not, there's not a single straight piece on it. So you have to make sure that you're, you're doing things in a, in a certain order, in a certain way to get to the final product. And uh, even though that I wasn't doing anything new technique-wise, per se, but it was the whole process of beginning to end that was the real challenge. Uh, specifically, how I was going to veneer the drawer and have the grain flow through it. It was, uh, you know, that, that's something that took me a week to figure out mm -hmm. exactly how I was going to get that done. So, uh, you know, it's, it's things like that. Right. Well, but, I mean, it sounds like really, it, you know, when you talk about practice and incremental improvement, it's not that every new project is you're learning a brand new skill every new project. It's more that every time you do a project and you're using a skill you're upping it, upping your game just one increment each time. Mm -hmm. Either doing right. more of something that you've done in the past or getting a little bit more difficult with it, um, you know, or adding one layer of complexity each time, um, you know, as, as a way of continually improving. And it's like, you might not notice the difference between project one and project two, but you're certainly going to notice the difference between project one and project 10. And that's 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 very true. Um, and it, it, you used a very good word there, incremental. Um, biting off more than you can chew sometimes is not a good thing. That's that's where the inevitable catastrophe is going to happen. Um, but if you stand back, look at a piece, and okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this, but I'm going to try doing it this way this time instead, and you know, let that take you where wherever it goes uh, that can be it can be a lot of fun yeah um well so i want to be uh conscious of your time and you know uh I, I certainly enjoy this conversation i guess my 
you know, maybe the last question here would be, you know, we've talked about a lot of great things here, but you know, what, what advice do you have for, um, let's say, what advice do you have for somebody who feels like they're kind of stuck in a rut in the shop? They've, they've been doing it for a while. They're not having fun maybe anymore, or it's not as rewarding as it used to be. Um, try something new. Try something you a haven't done before, or b you don't think you can you can do. Research it, uh, design it, and just build it. Um, you you, it, it, you know it's, it's that old saying: it's better to to try than and fail than never have tried at all. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's exactly it. And when you do things like that, and you're, you're, you're you do push yourself and challenge yourself. It it makes things exciting again. It makes things fun. Yeah. Yeah, I can. That's that's great advice. Yeah, I, I kind of was. I was there a couple of years ago with you know with woodworking, and it's like, it wasn't until I kind of, I, I did try. It was like. I was getting bored because I wasn't, every project was just more of the same thing. It was screws, nails, glue, um, whatever it, whatever I could do to get the job done as quickly as possible and move on to the next project. Um, Mm -hmm. and it, you know, it got boring pretty quickly. Um, and it wasn't until I started taking more time per project and trying to actually do something that, you know, it's like, I know how to use this. I know how to use a chisel and I know how to use my hammer and I know how to use my table saw. Um, but I haven't, and I, I know how to use my marking knife, but I haven't actually done a mortise and tenon joint. And so, mm-hmm. you know, doing a project with just mortise and tenon joints, the first one was pretty ugly, but you can't tell once it's glued together, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the, by the, the 16th mortise, uh, you know, they look pretty good. Um, and it yeah, was and, pretty rewarding. Yeah, I know a lot of guys now. Um, they've, they've they've switched from you know power tools to, to hand tools um, because of that. You know, it's it's a, it's a new challenge. Yeah, you know, hand tools are are a very challenging thing, and um, I don't like. I think that you've you've gone almost all hand tools, have you not? Um, I mean, basically you've tried. Yeah, basically I've got my table saw. Um and that's I've got my table saw on a router table. Um I really only use the router for picture frames. Um but so for me it's mostly table saw and and hand tools and it is frustrating because it's you know there are things that I just can't do with those two pieces. You know, it's like I it's very difficult to to true up a you know a big piece of wood. Um, at least yeah. in any manageable amount of time. Um, but you don't have to, it, the piece of wood does not have to be perfect. Only the reference face does. Um, and I was actually reading Mortis and Tenon magazine. I don't know if you've, if you've yeah. checked that out or not, but I just finished that the first, mm-hmm. the first issue. And it talked a lot about like, you know, furniture in the past, they didn't, I mean, they had to make it a living. So, it was out of necessity mm-hmm. that it wasn't that they cut corners or were lazy. It was that I needed to feed the family and therefore I have to get this project done in a reasonable amount of time. So I'm not going to 
true up all four sides of this board because I don't have to. Um, you're not going to see two of the four sides. Um, and so, you know, they left a lot of pieces, you know, rough plane with a scrub plane, you know, on, on the inside face that wasn't, wasn't shown. And it's like, I've found ways to where I'm not necessarily doing those things, but I built a basic bed out of all square pieces, just mortise and tenons is the bed that you helped me with. Why? Because it was like, I can realistically do this with a table saw and, you know, hand tools and the long, the long horizontal slats. I was like, there is no way I'm going to take a, a, a rough board that's 75 inches long and flatten it with a hand plane. I don't have the bench. Yep. I don't have, I don't have the right kind of hand plane. So Mike Woods, you know, the guy I get my lumber from, I had him um, mill it up for me uh, with joiner and a planer because that was, I knew that I was going to fail at that because I just didn't have the right tools. Yeah, and especially because it was hickory. Yes. <laughs> but I got really good at sharpening lace. <laughs> yeah, I got really good at sharpening though, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, Guy, this has been great. I uh, really appreciate your time. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you for your time, and I uh, hope you have, you and your family have a Merry Christmas. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this time, uh, Jonathan, and, and thanks so much for having me on, and uh, I wish you and your, your family a, a happy holidays. Appreciate it. All right, well, thanks, everyone, for listening, uh, and, and, and remember, stay virtuous. <laughs>